Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All righty, we're in John chapter 15. If you got your Bibles, go to John chapter 15. And today's big theme is fruitfulness, and we're going to learn from Jesus. And I was thinking about it. One of the favorite vacation spots that we go as a family, we've been there many, many times. It's kind of up in the mountains and it snows a lot. And then the springtime comes and the snow melts. And there's this massive river that flows through this lush, rich, fruitful valley. And surrounding the river, there are orchards, fruit trees. If you've eaten an apple or a a peach or some other, maybe a cherry, you've probably eaten it from that spot. And uh, in addition, there's a lot of vineyards and there's wineries and we just love going there. It's one of my favorite places to be. And, And as you're there, you notice that Great care is taken to preserve the orchards and the vineyards. Uh, There is year-round constant tending and gardening and caretaking. And you'll see nets that go over the trees to protect them from birds. You'll see lattices built to hold up the vines. You'll see the season of planting, the season of harvesting, and then the, the brutal winter where everything sort of dies and goes into a season of pruning. And God wants all of this to help illustrate something that he does in our lives spiritually. So today, think in terms of gardening, think in terms of farming, think in terms of viticulture, vines and vine dressing and vine keeping. And that's, that's all the language that Jesus is going to use for us. And for us, it could be a little bit hard because we tend to think that the fruit grows at Costco, amen? I mean, we're not really, I mean, how many of you, we live in the desert. You're like, well, we grow dirt and, uh, and cactus. Well, they just grow themselves. So just start to think in terms of of, of gardening, in, in terms of farming, in terms of, of vine keeping and fruitfulness. And, and you'll understand because this is what ultimately is one of the great metaphors of the whole Bible for the life of a Christian believer, that our life is to be fruitful, that it is to be bountiful. And so it starts here that God made us to be fruitful in the uh, beginning of the Bible, the first chapter, everything starts with our first parents, Adam and Eve. And where are they physically, geographically? They're in a a garden, a fruitful, lush, rich, nourishing, life-giving garden. And God speaks to them and says, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful. So God says, I'm gonna put you in a fruitful place, but I want you to be fruitful people. As these trees will nourish you, I want you to be like trees that nourish others. And so in this, we are going to pick it up with the Lord Jesus who comes along many years later. And the question is, okay, God made us to be fruitful. How do we be fruitful? Jesus comes and says, John 15, one, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So the analogy is this, that God is like a gardener. He oversees and tends to the garden. That Jesus is the vine and that Christians, we are branches off of the life of Jesus. And that the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit is to bring the life of Jesus into your life and into my life and into our life so that we would be fruitful. In the same way, uh, there, there will be a vine or a trunk and branches Branches have no life apart from the vine or the trunk. They need to stay connected because the source of life comes to the branch, but it comes from the vine. Here's what I need you to know. You cannot be anybody's vine. Just changed the temperature in the room, didn't I? 
Sometimes we think, you know what? I need to be their vine and I need to be their vine and I need to be their vine and I need to be their vine. I need to give them life. I need to give them love. I need to give them hope. I need to give them, I need to provide all of the nourishment and life and energy for their existence. And what you find is God didn't make you to be a vine. God made you to be a branch. And none of us can be a vine for someone else. And we all need Jesus to be the vine from which we get the life and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So just like there is a vine and the life of the vine flows into the branch, that is the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, he talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. How do we abide? How do we receive the power of God? How do we receive the energy and the life-giving nourishment and sustenance for the soul? It's by being connected to Jesus and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is really good news for you and for me. Some of us, we have chosen someone or something else to be our vine. We've chosen our spouse, we've chosen our work, we've chosen our health, we've chosen our beauty, we've chosen our success, we've chosen our grade point average, we've chosen our children, we've chosen our grandchildren. And what we find is we're not healthy and they're not healthy because they were not built, we were not built to be a vine and we all need a vine and his name is Jesus. And so this is sort of the big analogy that Jesus is going to use in our time together. And the goal of your life, the goal of my life is to be fruitful. There are two primary errors that Americans have regarding the goal, the telos, the objective of life. Some will say it's to be successful. Your goal is not to be successful. Some would say your goal is to be comfortable. Your goal is not to be comfortable. Your goal is to be fruitful, to be fruitful, to be fruitful. Jesus, according to the analysis of our day, would not be very successful. He's, what kind of house does he live in? He's homeless, right? Some of you are like, I don't live in a nice house. It's better than Jesus' house. Jesus was homeless and he was poor. According to the standards of our day, he was not successful. In addition, he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. He didn't have a wife to do life with. His life had a lot of opposition and hardship. His life was not comfortable. Most Americans, our goals are be successful, be comfortable. And the goal that God would have for you and me is to be fruitful which may mean you're less successful and for sure you'll be less comfortable, but you'll be fruitful. And here's the point of a fruitful tree. A fruitful tree is to nourish others. What's your favorite fruit? Let me have it. How many of you like peaches? Amen. How many of you like apples? Amen. How many of you like cherries? Amen. How many of you like grapes? Amen. How many of you like grapes when they're produced into something that goes into a bottle? Um, right? All of this is in the Bible. One of my favorite things to do when we would go to this place that is very fruitful, uh, there was a place that had ice cream, all right, amazing. I'm just gonna think about it for a moment. That's just, just, and then what they would do is whatever fruit was in season, they would take it fresh and they'd make you a milkshake with that fruit, okay? So we go there every year and we practice for heaven because that's what heaven's gonna be. So when the peaches are ripe, you go in there like today, fresh peach, Um, milkshake, oh, praise be to God. Oh, now the cherries are ripe, fresh cherry milkshake. Oh, praise be to God. Um, Now the blackberries are ripe. Oh, praise be to God, fresh blackberry shake. And now the apples are ripe and we fresh press cider. What I love about the fruitfulness is it's nourishing and life-giving and enjoyable. God wants you and me to be like that. Life-giving, nourishing, sweet, helpful, joyful, 
beneficial to others. That's what it means to live a fruitful life. A tree does not exist to nourish itself. A tree exists to bear fruit, to nourish others. And that's what the Bible means by by ministry. And so what Jesus is going to do here, he's going to take this analogy, this, this, this illustration, and he's going to talk about four kinds of people. So the key is for you to, to ask yourself, okay, what kind of person am I? And the first is, are you an unbeliever? John 15, six, if anyone does not abide in me, this is relational language. It's life together. Some of you would say, I'm not a bad person and I don't do bad things. But if you're living your life apart from God as an independent person, that is the worst sin of all. It's isolation, it's, it's independence. We're supposed to be dependent upon God. Um, last night, Grace and I were hanging out and she's like, I wanna snuggle up and watch a movie. You know why? Because we abide together. We hang out together, we do stuff together. God wants a relationship with you where you hang out, you do life together, it's practical, it's relational like that. That's abiding, hanging out. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So we're gonna talk about hell. We're going right through a book of the Bible and there are occasions in the Bible where we hit something that some people say, I don't really like that. That's when we need to hit the brakes, pull over and examine and evaluate. Most Americans believe in heaven and they don't like the concept of hell. It's because most Americans are going to hell. Now, that being said, I'm just throwing it out there, that, that at the end, well, Jesus says, narrow is the way and few find it. So I'm just throwing it out there. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the whole Bible. 13% of Jesus' teaching is about punishment and hell, eternal judgment. The majority of these little statements and stories called parables that Jesus teaches, the majority are about judgment and ultimately about final judgment in hell. And the, and the concept and the language in the Bible is being cut off, being separated from God's people and presence and provision. And the language of the Bible is often in regards to burning, in regards to burning. And what I remember being in the orchards last time we were there, there would be this fruitful harvest season and at the end of harvest season, they would go out and they would prune all of the trees and they would take the dead branches and cut them off and the sucker branches and take them away and they would stack them up and then there'd be a big bonfire to sort of celebrate the end of the harvest season. A friend of ours who's a pastor had a party we got to attend and they brought in all the fresh apples and they had this old apple press. So my kids got to crank the handle and out comes fresh apple cider and took the, the branches that had been dead and dying and cut off of the trees and, and a huge fire was made and we had a big party and it was kids and families and it was, it was sort of a harvest time celebration. Well, right now in human history, this is the time of harvest. We, we go tell people about Jesus. We invite people to Jesus. We, we invite people to abide in Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus, be forgiven by Jesus, get to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, do life with Jesus. But there is a day coming when the harvest is over and it is time for the bonfire. And some people will say, well, I don't feel like I need God. My life is going just fine. It may go fine until it's not fine and it's not fine forever. I need to tell you the truth because I'm a Bible teacher. I'm, I'm not an editor. My goal is not to go to the Bible and say, good job, God, I went to college and I see your errors and I'll make those corrections for you. My goal is not to be a salesman giving you a timeshare pitch called heaven and just overlooking all the fine print and get you to sign on the dotted line and ignoring all the hard parts. The Bible is very clear and Jesus is exceedingly clear. Everyone dies and lives forever and not everyone goes to a better place. 
There is heaven, there is hell. Both are eternal destinations for people made by God to live forever. The question is, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? If you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't belong to Jesus, if you're doing your life independent and autonomous of God, then ultimately you should not expect to do life forever with God because you're not doing life with God right now. If you're not doing life with God right now, don't expect to do life with God forever. If you're doing life with God now, expect to do life with God forever. And so ultimately, you have the most important decision that you will ever make. And that is, am I with Jesus or am I not with Jesus? And, and what I would say to you is this, um, it is amazing to me that God would actually welcome us into relationship. And, and, and Jesus previously in John's gospel, he explained heaven in this analogy. He said uh, that it is his father's house. How many of you? How many of you have a house or an apartment or a dorm or a condo? How many of you have a door on your home, condo, dorm, apartment? Why do you have that door? Because you get to decide who comes into your house. Say, well, I don't know you. You can't just come in, you need to get my permission. And furthermore, if you're dangerous, I wanna make sure you don't get into my house. And some people will say, you know, the fact that God has a door on his home is exceedingly unloving. And I would say, not if you're part of the family. In fact, the father has a door as a member of the family. I'm very, I'm very happy about that. It would not be a loving thing at my home if I took the door off the hinges and just put out a sign that said, all welcome, and just let anyone come in and do whatever they want to my family. Furthermore, it would not be loving to my family to allow anyone to move into the home, even if they hated or didn't love or wanted to do evil or harm to my family. God's a father, heaven is his home. He invites us to have a relationship with him. And what he says is, if you love me and you'll love my family and you'll abide by our house rules, when you die, you can pass through Jesus the great door and you can come into my home and be with my people as part of my family forever. And what I would say is that seems very reasonable to me. Why would God allow people who don't want a relationship with him to rebel against him for all eternity? Heaven would look like the earth and it's not going well. And so the decision for you is this, are you going to live your life with Jesus and then die and then enter into the Father's house? Or are you going to live your life without Jesus and die and then go into the place that Jesus talks about and that is thrown into the fire and burned? That's eternal consequence and judgment. And what I would submit to you is this, some people will look at this and say, this is very unloving and in context, there is a guy who is the prototypical unbeliever. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. His name was Judas Iscariot. And in context of John's gospel, Jesus has loved Judas for three years. Judas never loved Jesus. Jesus has served Judas for three years. Judas never served Jesus. Jesus was generous to Judas for three years and all Judas did was steal from Jesus. In the moment that Jesus is articulating this, Judas has already agreed that he will hand Jesus over for a bounty. A bounty was put on God's head. And Judas could either have a relationship with Jesus or money. And what he decided was money matters more to me than God. That's why Jesus says you can't love, worship, and serve both God and money. You gotta pick one. Well, Judas made his choice. He loved money more than God and he betrayed God for money. 
And so Judas is in the process of here sort of cutting himself off and being stacked up like cordwood for eternal judgment. But none of us can look at Judas and say, yeah, that's Jesus' fault. No, that's Judas's fault. Well, if only Judas, if Jesus would have loved him more, Jesus loved him perfectly. Well, if only Jesus would have done more, Jesus did miracles in front of Judas. He loved Judas, he served Judas, he, he prayed for, he prayed with, he prayed in the presence of Judas and Judas just quite frankly, simply never ever responded. You and I need to realize that Judas is prototypical for all unbelievers. God is willing to have a relationship, but a relationship takes how many people? Two. Jesus, my friend, is willing to have a relationship with you, but you need to decide whether or not you'll have a relationship with him. And if you're going to do life without him, expect to do life without him forever. And ultimately there is this language of being cut off. At the end of the harvest season, they would go to the trees and the orchards where we would go just like a vineyard and all the dead branches get cut. You need to know that that is the eternal fate of some people. I love you. I want good for you. You don't have to go to hell. I had a guy recently, he's like, oh, I don't like the concept of hell. Well, then don't go. I mean, <laughs> then, then don't go. You know, it's like, go to heaven. I mean, you, there is an option. Um, you could give your life to Jesus, be forgiven and be with God forever. And that's what we want for you, amen? So this is harvest season. This is the time to be forgiven. This is the time to enter into relationship with God. This is the time to do life with God. But there are, Jesus says, those who have tragically, sadly chosen the, the, the process of the unbeliever. The second kind of person, are you an unhealthy believer? John chapter 15, verse two is one of the most debated, discussed dialogue verses in the whole New Testament. And it's complicated. The Bible, is true and sometimes it's a little hard to understand. In fact, Peter, one of the disciples, he actually says in one of the letters bearing his name that some of the Bible is quote, hard to understand. This is one that's a little hard. Maybe because we're 2000 years later, I don't know, maybe Jesus was standing in front of a, a vine with branches and he was illustrating and, or maybe it's just the fact that we don't really live in an agrarian society. I mean, we're in the desert, right? I know for a fact, most of you don't grow a lot of things, right? I mean, because everything here dies, right? It just dies. So maybe they understood in, in a way that we don't. So we've got to think about it. But what I'll say is this, here at the church, we, I teach, there are closed-handed issues and there are open-handed issues, okay? Um, this is going to be my interpretation of John 15 is an open-handed issue and we could disagree about it. Jesus is God, he is the vine, exactly how we interpret 15.2. Eh, you could talk about that in your life group this week, discuss it, study it, whatever. But let me read it to you. All that for a preface. John 15.2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Some of your translations like the New International Version will say he cuts off. Now what this sounds like is you're a believer, you're a branch connected to the vine, but you don't produce a lot of fruit or it's rotten fruit or it's bad fruit. And so God comes to you and says, you get thrown into the fire. How many of you that scares you? It does me. It does me because if that's what it means, it means that in addition to what Jesus did, I need to do some things. And if I don't do some things, then he burns me forever. And this leads to something called works. And that is, what do you do that God would love you and forgive you? And the answer is, I don't do any works. Jesus did all the works and I trust in his finished works. That's where Jesus says, it is on the cross, it is finished. Jesus doesn't say, now it's your turn. 
No, finished means done, concluded, it's over. And what this leads to is what I'll call works theology. And it is, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, but have you been baptized? Because if you're not baptized, boom, you're gonna be set on fire. Oh, have you spoken in tongues? Have you given 10%? Have you gone on a mission trip? Have you been to Bible college? Do you read the Bible every day? Did you say a naughty word? Right? And it's like, oh, how many of you grew up in that church? And you're like, I, my nervous eye twitches back. I'm freaking out. No problem. Just speak in tongues. We'll collect the offering. Get you wet in a moment. We'll fix all your fears. Okay, no, the point is this. If that's what it says, then what Jesus did was not enough. And I need to add to something that Jesus did. And uh, Jesus already said, I think it was in John 6, 37. He said, uh, he said, all that the father gives to me, none will I cast away. None will I cast away. So I don't think that that is probably what it means. Um, they would say that's a Christian who loses his salvation, right? Some would say, no, it's a fake Christian like Judas. If you look at Judas, you're like, he's hanging out with Jesus, but he's not connected. But he listens to Bible teaching, but he doesn't believe any of it. Well, all of his friends love the Lord. Yeah, but he's not a friend of the Lord. So some would say it's in context, it's, it's fake Christians like Judas because in every church, there are Christians and non-Christians. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference because they're both sitting there listening and praying and singing and, and some love Jesus and are connected and some don't and they're faking. I, I don't think you could lose your salvation, but I do think you can fake it. And so people do. Those are religious people. Those are religious people. That may be what he's referring to is a fake Christian, that ultimately at the end, they get cut off and thrown into the fire because they were never truly connected to the vine. Number three, Christian taken to heaven, meaning you're a believer, but your life is just a mess. Like it's a mess. And, and your, your, your life is so out of control, things are not working, it's not going well, and, and you're not going to change. And so God loves you and he takes you home. This is the third possible interpretation. Uh, there's a story in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus where God's people, they surround a golden calf and they're worshiping it and they're doing crazy stuff. I mean, it's like Mardi Gras meets spring break, Hebrews gone wild. It's wrong. It's just, we'll edit that out, but it is wrong. It is just wrong what they are doing. And what God does is he causes some of them to die and he takes them home. Paul in the New Testament, in a letter to the Corinthians, he reflects back and he says to the Corinthians, you guys are doing crazy stuff. That's why some of you are sick and some of you have died. God looks and says, that's all, there's a lot of rotten fruit there. I'm gonna take that one and bring them home, right? Bring them home. That may be what it's referring to. I tend to think that the fourth option is most likely, you can disagree with me. That's totally fine. The word here, and this is originally written in Greek, um, and we have an English translation. The word here for takes away, or some of your translation cuts off, it appears about 24 times in the Gospel of John. About a third of the time, it means to lift up, and about two thirds of the time, it means to cut away, okay? And so the preponderance of occurrences would mean cut away or taken away, but the minority of occurrences would be to lift up. This is my view. Um, how many of you 
know what this is, right? And the reason I ask is, honestly, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. You'll notice that all my gardening tools are clean. That tells you a lot, right? I don't do gardening. And at my house, we moved in and uh, there was grass and I put in artificial turf because that's how committed I am to gardening, okay? So just bear with me. I'm using the analogy. What is this though? It holds tomatoes, okay? Holds tomatoes. Because uh, let's say you've got a tomato plant that has life in it and it's making tomatoes, but all the tomatoes are on the ground. What happens to the tomatoes? The bugs eat them. The water hits them, if hypothetically it ever rains. Uh, maybe they get soft and mushy underneath and start to rot out. So what do you do if you say, well, it's a, it's a branch that actually has life in it. It's making tomatoes. What do you do with it? You lift it up so that it can get some air, it can get some sunlight and it can be protected and it can grow. My opinion, my perspective, my interpretation is that when a Christian is not producing much fruit or good fruit, God comes along and he, he lifts them up. He says, you know what? I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna send somebody into your life that's gonna be like a lattice and they're gonna help you get going straight again. And I believe that that's what the Lord Jesus here is most likely referring to. Lift up. How many of you today, you're like, I do belong to Jesus. There's not a lot of fruit in my life. And what we're talking about is the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruit of the spirit. Look at your life and you say, well, there's a little bit of fruit, but man, it's little. Or it was good fruit, but it's rotting. I think Jesus would come along and say, all right, let's lift you up. Just like you take a vine and put it on a lattice. Right? I'm not done with you. I'm here for you. I'm gonna lift you up. And I was thinking about it. How does a Christian's life become either filled with very little fruit or fruit that rots on the vine? Um, just to extend the analogy, let me ask you a few questions. Um, are there weeds that you've not pulled from the garden of your life? How many of you are gardeners and you know you can't just water and feed the plants, you also need to pull the weeds. Otherwise, what happens? The weeds choke out the plants. Some of you, you do love the Lord and the Lord does love you and God is at work in your life, but there's some weeds that you gotta pull. That's a bad habit, that's a crazy idea, that's a rebellious disposition. Uh, that's, that's, that's just not going to cause me to be more fruitful. So you need to pull those weeds out of your life because the thing that is inhibiting your fruitfulness and keeping you from lifting is maybe you're just entangled with a lot of weeds, rebellion, sin, folly, and the like. Sometimes a plant is on the ground and it's not as fruitful as it can be because it's just been beaten and battered through a burden season. Right? I mean, sometimes I know that uh, hailstorms hit the valley or monsoons hit the valley and the wind kicks up and the, the rain just pours down and certain plants don't make it. In, in the most recent monsoon, we lost a tree in our yard. You know why? The roots were shallow. Some of you, your roots are shallow. You know, you really haven't dug deep into God. You belong to God, but your roots are not dug deep. 
For some of you, you've been through a season where it's just a battering. Uh, one of the first things we learned when we moved here was, it, right, if there's ever a frost, you gotta go out and you gotta cover certain plants. You know why? They need that. And so for you and I, it's looking at our life and asking, okay, is this a season where I've just been beaten up? I've been burdened. I've been broken. It may just be a season where God needs to come and lift you up. And that's not always sin. Sometimes it's just hard, difficult, painful circumstance. You're like, man, I was growing and then monsoon hit. I got blow over. Or hail hit, I just got deluged. Or monsoon, I just got flooded out and I was doing good and now I'm, I'm, I'm laying down and I need to be propped up. God is gentle, God is loving, God is gracious. God is a, a good gardener and he comes to lift you up today to encourage you. How about this one? Um, have you planted yourself in bad soil? Um, you know, we recently redid the kids in the back and the first thing that they told me was, we can't plant trees in this dirt because it's bad soil. So the first thing we need to do is we need to dig out a huge hole and put in good soil and then plant the tree in the good soil, right? Some of you, you've planted your roots in bad soil, right? Bad theology, bad church, bad relationships, right? Bad commitments, the people you're with, the things you're committed to, the things you're obligated to, they don't make you healthy, they make you unhealthy. They don't cause you to be fruitful. They cause you to be unfruitful. Sometimes you gotta say, you know what? I need to be replanted in better soil. I need a different job. I need to find some godly friends. I need to get some new habits. I need to find a decent church. I need to figure out a better routine. I gotta get myself in better soil because if there's no nutrients in the soil, I can't be very healthy, flourishing and growing. And how about this one? How many of you, the reason that you're not bearing much fruit is you're really not connected to the right vine. And this is what we do. We tend to take people and things and put them in the place of Jesus. All right, some of you, you're like, man, if my spouse would just give me, it's like, well, first, maybe you need to get from Jesus the life, the energy, the health that you're seeking. Some of us, it's our parents. Some of us, it's our children. Some of us, it's our job. Some of it's our income. Some of it is our achievements or accomplishments. And just saying, man, if this would just nourish me, if this would be healthy, if this would go better, I would be fruitful. And if, if Jesus isn't your vine, you can't be healthy and you won't be fruitful. And what I'm asking you is who or what is the highest priority in your life? Who or what do you go to for the energy and the clarity and the health that you need to be an emotionally, relationally healthy person? If it's not Jesus, it is doomed and destined to failure. And as a result, you will be sick and unhealthy and your life will not be one that is flourishing and nourishing of others. So the good news is Jesus lifts you up. He picks you up. He'll help you. He wants to help you to be fruitful. Third category, are you a believer in a season of pruning? John 15, two through five, every branch that does bear fruit. These are believers, they are growing. Right? The life of God is flowing through them and evidenced in them. That he, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. How many of you wanna be fruitful? Okay, both of you, that's awesome. Okay, great. Most people say, I wanna be fruitful. Do you wanna be pruned? No, no, I like fruit, not pruning. Because fruit is tasty and pruning is painful. 
but you can't have fruit without pruning. We had uh, an apple tree in uh, one of our yards years ago, and it was filled with sucker branches. You know what sucker branches are? They take life and energy from the trunk and they rob it from the healthy branches until eventually the whole tree becomes sick and dies. There are things in your life, they're sucker branches. And if you don't prune them, you get unhealthy and you're not fruitful and you begin a death and decay process. So God comes to prune you. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You do belong to me. You are connected to me. You are forgiven. I do love you, Jesus is saying. Abide in me and I in you. This is mutual relationship, right? God is a relational God. Think in relational terms. Grace and I, to do life together, I need to abide with her and she needs to abide with me. We need to mutually both be committed to this relationship for it to be a healthy one. So it is in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. He'll abide with you, you gotta abide with him. He pursues you, you pursue him. He talks to you, you talk to him. It has to be a mutual relationship. Uh, abide in me and I in you, as the branch can out bear fruit by itself. Right? What happens to a branch that is cut off from the vine? It's green for a while and then it turns brown and then it dies. So it is with any person who cuts themselves off from God. Right? Some of you, 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 you're feeling that. You're like, man, I, I walked with God and then I didn't walk with God and I prayed and then I didn't pray and I read my Bible and I didn't read my Bible. And what happened? I started to get very sick and unhealthy in my emotional relational state it got very unfruitful and very rotten. Well, then come back. And I love the language too, that God says he'll even take people and graft them in. But welcome back, I'll graft you in. We'll put life back into you. I'm not done with you. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am in the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I in him. It is he that bears much fruit. This is God's hope, prayer, aspiration, goal, intention for your life, fruitful. Fruitful, you know why? So you can nourish your spouse, you can nourish your kids, you can nourish your coworkers, you can nourish your community, you can bring life to other people. How many of you have met somebody and they literally are a source of life to you? You're like, man, when I get around, I feel encouraged, my soul feels lifted, I feel fed, I feel built up, not beat up. They're life-giving people. God wants all of you to be fruitful people that are bearing fruit that nourishes others, starting with the people that live in closest relational proximity to you. And, and ultimately the goal is this. You say, well, how do I have a healthy emotional life? Connected to Jesus. How do I have a healthy career? Connected to Jesus. How do I have a healthy marriage? Connected to Jesus. How do we have healthy kids? Connect them to Jesus. How do we have healthy relationships? Connected to Jesus. Everything that's connected to Jesus has life and fruitfulness and everything that is not connected to Jesus. He says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Some of you say, I do a lot of things. Okay, you have plastic fruit. Okay, you have plastic fruit. You know what the difference is between real fruit and plastic fruit? One tastes good, the other does not. There are people who live their life apart from Jesus and they're like, my life is very fruitful, but you pick it and you bite it, you're like, that don't taste good. That doesn't nourish. There's no life in that. That's plastic fruit. Religion, spirituality, morality, it's plastic fruit duct taped to dead trees. Okay. It's plastic fruit duct taped to dead trees. And from a distance, you're like, they look the same. Get up close and take a bite. There's a big difference. 
somebody who is in God's presence, so someone who has the life of the Holy Spirit in them, someone who brings forth the character of the Lord Jesus because his life is flowing through the fruitfulness of their life. You get around those people and they are nourishing, they are life-giving, they're authentic, they're genuine, they're real. And let me just say this, how many of you like fruit, amen? You know why we like it? It's sweet. People who are connected to the Lord Jesus, they get sweeter they get sweeter. And let me say this for you older saints. Um, You should get sweeter as you get older. Some of you get sour, like sour fruit. No, you should get sweeter as you get older because more of Jesus' life should be flowing into you and more fruitfulness should be flowing from you. And there should be an increasing sweetness for those who age in relationship with the Lord Jesus. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So what happens is, let me say this. I didn't say it in the first service, but I was thinking about it between. Here is the big mistake. This is the big error. We exchange busyness for fruitfulness. How are you doing? I am so busy. People don't say, I am so fruitful. There's a big difference, right? Are you staying busy? Are you being fruitful. Some of you need to look at your life and you need to prune, I think these are pruning shears. I'm not going to lie. I don't do any gardening. Some of you need to look at your life and say, "Hmm, that's busyness, not fruitfulness. That's busyness, not fruitfulness. That's busyness, not fruitfulness. And sometimes God comes into your life and he says, you know what? I need to prune there, need to prune there, need to prune there. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. How many of you are in a pruning season? I lost my job. Wow. I had money and I lost a lot of money. I thought they were my friend and now they're gone. Okay, I worked my whole life to build that and now it's over. Pruning is painful and it's profitable, okay? What happens is if your life goal is to be successful or comfortable, you hate pruning because it hurts and you have less, amen? Let's just preach against America for a minute. Okay, the goal of most Americans is to be comfortable and successful. Pruning comes, it's uncomfortable and it causes you to be less successful. You have less, right? The tree that is your life, it gets pruned, it's smaller. And what we tend to think is um, pain is a problem, but sometimes pain is a pruning. Pruning is hard and it's painful. Uh, If you go to... uh, a plant, a vine, a tree, and and you prune it, there will be pain there. But what it is doing, it is taking away sucker branches and deadness so that the life can flow to the healthy branches so that they can be more fruitful. You, my friend, are a branch. Let me say this. You are not a vine. You are not a gardener. Jesus is the vine He told us that the father is the gardener. And the problem with some of us is God comes and says, I want to prune that. And you're like, 
no, <laughs> no, I can't prune that. God says, no, it's not healthy. Come on, I like it. No, it's, that's right, it's really not healthy. And sometimes it's things that are unhealthy and sometimes it's just things that are unfruitful. How many things in your life are just unfruitful? They're just not doing anything. They're taking a lot of time, energy, and money, and God comes and prunes. Now, what if I, uh, what if I came at you with these, right? What if I came at you with these? You would, you would die. You would die. Um, okay, what if I came at you with, with these? You'll be okay, but it's not gonna be very fun, okay? Sometimes God comes and he, let me say this, he will use pain for the purpose of pruning. This is where for the believer, it's very important to distinguish between hurt and harm. Very important because sometimes God comes and he prunes something out of your life and you're like, that hurts. Okay, God, do you not exist? God, are you punishing me? God, are you mad at me? Are you angry at me? Did I do something wrong? And God's like, no, I love you. I'm pruning you so you can be more fruitful. There's a big difference between hurt and harm. Take somebody that's never seen modern medicine, put them on a plane, fly them to Phoenix, take them to the Mayo Clinic, walk them into a surgical procedure, and they would think, oh my gosh, they're murdering that person. No, actually, they're healing them. There's gonna be a little bit of hurt that'll prevent a lot of harm. This is where sometimes we'll have a little pain in our body, and it's God's way of notifying us that we need to address that hurt before it causes great harm. This is why if you've been in an injury or an ailment, you go in for physical um, rehabilitation. You say, man, it really hurts. Yeah, so you can get healthy. And if we don't allow you to hurt a little bit, you're gonna harm yourself a lot. For the believer, here's what I need you to understand and to know. If you belong to Jesus Christ, he is not punishing you. He already punished Jesus in your place. But instead, he is pruning you so that you can become closer to Jesus and become more like Jesus. And if the goal of your life is to be comfortable, you will reject pruning. If the goal of your life is to be successful, you will reject pruning. If the goal of your life is to be fruitful, you will receive pruning. And here's the good news because what Jesus promises is he only prunes those that have already been fruitful and he prunes them so they can be more fruitful. How many of you have got something in your yard that's healthy and growing and you keep pruning it so that it can be more healthy and continue growing? That's God's intention and plan for you as a believer. Sometimes the pruning is a person, relationship is gone. Sometimes it's a position, prominence is gone. Sometimes it's a provision, wealth or resources are gone. I've been through a lot of pruning in my life. And I, I would just encourage you in those moments, we live by faith, not by sight. In those moments, all we see is there is less and it hurts. And God says, trust me, there will be more if you abide in my son. And we live by faith until we can see by sight that the pruning was what allowed and promoted the harvest, amen? I wanna encourage you, some of you are hurting today. And I would just ask you to ask the Lord, God, what are you trying to prune? 
so that I could be more fruitful in the next season. That's ultimately his intent for us all. And then category four, and he leaves most of the time and most of the energy and most of the words for this category. And it's my hope, my prayer for you. Are you a believer growing healthy and more fruitful? Right? We live in a world where people are not healthy or fruitful. They're busy and unhealthy. Jesus wants you to be healthy, connected to him and fruitful. If you abide in me and my words, starting with the word of God abiding you, it all starts in relationship. And again, we live in a world of busyness. People are like, I don't have time to read the Bible. What are you talking about? I don't have time to pray. What are you talking about? I don't have time to worship. Why? I am very busy trying to be fruitful without a relationship with the God who causes me to be fruitful. This is like a, a, a branch saying, I am so busy with the fruit, I have no time for the vine. You cannot bear fruit apart from the vine. Your first priority is your relationship with Jesus. Your first priority is your connection to Jesus. Your first requirement is to abide in relationship with Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. If you're connected to Christ, you're like, okay, Father, I wanna bear fruit in this part of my life. The answer is always yes. God will send the Holy Spirit to bring the life-giving energy and power so that you can be fruitful in whatever area that is in alignment with God's will. By this, the Father is glorified that you bear what? Much fruit. This can be the goal for your life. God wants you to bear much fruit. Help people, love people, serve people, encourage people. Nourish other people, starting with those that are in relationship with you. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. It all starts with this loving relationship. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It all starts, God loves me. God wants a relationship with me. God wants to make me healthy. God wants to make me fruitful. What that means is we work from God's love, not for God's love. Otherwise, some of you grew up in religious homes where it's like, if you will do this and do this and do this and do this, then God will love you. And God says, no, 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 no. I love you, I love you, I love you. If you'll have a relationship with me, then these things will just sort of evidence themselves in your life because it is my life in you and through you. You don't work for the love of God. You work from the love of God. You work from the love of God. God starts where nobody else starts. God starts with, I love you. I'm committed to you. I'll give to you. That's amazing. There's no one like God. God is incredible and wonderful and we all need him. Amen? We all need him. So he says, uh, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. And have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's stressing it over and over. Question, is Jesus' life fruitful? Most fruitful life in the history of the world. Most significant person in the history of the world. More books written to him. More songs written regarding him. More, more lives devoted to him than anyone who has lived in the history of the world. The most fruitful life ever lived is the life of Jesus. Look at Jesus say, how'd you do that? He said, you know what? I stayed abiding in my relationship with the Father. We stayed connected. 
And as a result, Jesus is going to the cross to die in our place for our sins, to rise to conquer Satan's sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God, to be fruitful. Now for a few thousand years, the gospel message goes forth and the seed of the gospel is planted and the church of Jesus Christ is flourishing and growing. And the biggest thing in the history of the world is the church of Jesus because the most uh, healthy, life-giving, nourishing, fruitful person in the history of the world is Jesus. You ask, how did he do it? By staying in relationship, continual ongoing abiding. Jesus says, I want your life to be fruitful like my life. Okay, Jesus, how do I have a fruitful life like your life? He says, it all starts with this, relationship. Relationship. I stayed connected to the Father. I come to connect you to the Father. You need to stay connected to me. So the Spirit lives in the child of God, bringing forth the life of God. We stay connected to Jesus, who then connects us to the Father. And it's the whole life of the Trinity flowing from God the Father all the way down to your emotional life, your relationships and decisions you make in an instant or how you're going to respond to someone and treat them as God has treated you in Christ. This is a supernatural life. We live in a world that is fruitless. This is a fruitful life. We live in a world where everyone is consuming and no one is nourishing. This is a fruitful life. Jesus continues, Next slide, please. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God wants his people to be full of joy, okay? Let me just say this. If anyone or anything is your vine, you will not have joy. You will not. If your career is your vine, you will not have joy. If if your politics is your vine, you will not have joy. If your health is your vine, you will not have joy. If your marriage is your vine, you will not have joy. If your kids are your vine, you will not have joy. If Jesus is your vine, you will have joy and fruitfulness for all those people and things that you love in your life. This is a supernatural insight. This is understanding that Jesus gives that you cannot get anywhere else. God wants you to experience his love and God wants you to be filled to overflowing with his joy with hope and peace and kindness and love and the fruit of the spirit and the emotional life of Jesus. Some of you say, I can't do that. And Jesus would say, that's exactly right. So we need a relationship because I can do it. I can do it through you to nourish others. That's exactly where all of this is going. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The, The evidence of a fruitful life is love. Love God, love neighbor, love stranger. The Bible even says love enemy. That's the fruit of the spirit. Let me submit this to you. This is a fruitless world because it is filled with people who are not connected to Jesus. And you and I will behave just like them if we don't stay connected to Jesus. And what this world needs is fruitfulness. It doesn't need more darkness. And Jesus continues, a greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What Jesus is saying is, I am going to die that you might live. Some of you would look at the Lord Jesus and say, I can't believe Jesus you know, talks about um, you know, God cutting people off. Well, Jesus is about ready to be cut off. God, the son is about to go to the cross and to become our sin 
and to die in our place and to be cut off from relationship with the Father and to be cut off from the land of the living so that you and I don't have to be. So that we don't have to be. And Jesus is telling them that he is going to love them by being cut off so that they can be grafted in. That's you and me. You are my friends. If you do what I command you to do. This is unbelievable. How many of you wish you had a good friend? How many of you, you thought you had a good friend? How many of you, you're like, I had a friend and then they unfriended me. Thanks, mom. You know, right? We live in a world that's not filled with great friends. God comes down from his throne to be your friend. Jesus says it this way, next slide. And he talks about this friendship. No longer do I call you servants. Some of you have a master slave view of God. Master slave in that day, the master did not love the slave. The master would not serve the slave. The master would not consider the slave. The master would not do what was in the best interest of the slave. The slave was property. Jesus comes and he says, we don't have a master slave relationship. We have a friend relationship. That, that's, that's, that's unbelievable. Some of you still struggle because you think that you have a master slave relationship with God and every time something hard happens that he is punishing you, you don't. You have a friend relationship when something hard happens, it's the love of God pruning you. You are not to serve God out of fear. You are to experience the life of God, which is one of love. The Christian life, my friend, is not one that you have to do. It's one that you get to do, right? Oh, I get to be forgiven, yay. I don't have to be cordwood, yay. Oh, the father has a house for me and there's no HOA. And and, and, and there's no mortgage. Oh, yay, yay. There's food in the fridge. Yeah, and you don't have to pay for it. That's amazing. Oh, and there's gonna be people, yeah. And they're all gonna be perfect. Oh, yes. Including my relatives, maybe. Okay, so, you know, God is good. And what God has for us is fruitfulness and goodness. And Jesus says, look, I love you. I'm here to be your friend. You know what a friend does? A friend helps. A friend helps. Some of you, you have a job, but you'll do more for your friends than you will for your boss, amen? I mean, I won't tell your boss that, but that's the truth. If your boss calls you at three o'clock in the morning and says, I need you to come pick me up, you'd be like, wrong number. If your friend calls you at three o'clock in the morning, says, my car broke down, you say, I'll be there in a minute. Because we'll do more for love than we will for fear. We'll do more for friends than we will for masters. I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. Some of you would ask, well, how does this relationship with God begin? He chooses you. He chooses you. Now in any relationship, it takes two people, but somebody has to initiate. Some of you would ask, what about non-Christians? We're not even talking about them. We're only talking about Christians. If you are a Christian, you're like, how did I get a relationship with God? God chose you for a friendship. Some of you are like, why did he do that? Because he's good. You're like, he picked some really bad people. 
That's because he's good. And God is a loving, gracious, pursuing, relational God. Here's how Jesus said it. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Theologians will debate this. I went to public school and that still seems pretty clear to me, amen? So the way it works is this, Jesus chooses you and then you respond to him. So we do choose a relationship with Jesus, but if you have a relationship with Jesus, he chose to initiate that relationship with you. And if you're here today, I want you to know Jesus is willing to love you. He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to serve you. He's willing to graft you in. He's willing to lift you up. He's willing to help you out. And if that is something that you want, then you know that God has chosen you for this relationship. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. The goal of the Christian life is not just to go to heaven when you die, to be fruitful until you die. The goal is not just to die and go to heaven, but to be pruned and fruitful, to nourish, love, serve others with the life that God gives until our life is done. A few older saints, I love you. I don't wanna rebuke you, but we have a retirement culture among older people in this valley where it is, I am retired, I don't do fruit anymore. Look, you're, you're supposed to be fruitful until you die. You can retire from your job, but you cannot retire from your Christian faith. Your goal is not just to be good at golf and shuffleboard, right? And die and go to San Diego. Your goal should be to be pruned, to be fruitful to be pruned, to be fruitful. And the older you get, the more fruitful you can become, right? The best vines, they're the old vines. Okay, you old people take that home, okay? <laughs> Bear fruit that your fruit should abide. So your rewards, your works, all that God does in and through you, it continues into the kingdom. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Man, this is my prayer for our church that we would be a life-giving place. All right, I, wanna, I wanna hear this all the time. Like I went to the Trinity Church and I met some people and they were very life-giving. Those are healthy people. They're getting healthier. They're fruitful people. They're getting fruit more fruitful. They love me. They encouraged me. They prayed for me. They, they lifted me up when I was beaten down. When I was being pruned, they gave me hope that ultimately this would lead to a great harvest if I continue to abide in Jesus. The mark of the Christian life is truly ultimately love. And it's a supernatural divine love that God gives us. Now, let me say this. The goal of your life is to be fruitful. The goal of your family is to be fruitful. The goal of your career is to be fruitful, not just comfortable or successful. So then the question is, well, how do you bear this fruit? Eight times in this section, Jesus talks about fruit. 11 times he talks about abiding. And then he talks repeatedly about friends. Cause, effect, abide, fruitful. I'm not telling you don't worry about the fruit in your life, but I'm saying first worry about abiding in Christ, staying connected close to the Lord Jesus, amen? So here's what we had. We had a little discussion among the men on Wednesday night. Maybe you could talk about this on the car ride home or with your family. We will at the dinner table tonight. Maybe in your uh, life group, they're meeting all over the valley this week. 
How do you abide in Christ? What does that look like very practically for you? How about prayer? Is prayer important to abide in Christ? It's crucial. God doesn't need prayer, you do. Prayer is where you come to God and you say, okay, I wanna have my will be your will. I wanna be unburdened. I wanna align with your purposes. I wanna be filled with your spirit. So I need to talk to you about some things. Before I go do things, I need to talk to you about those things. How about Bible reading? Is Bible reading important for you abiding in Christ? Yes. Jesus says, if you abide in my word. The Bible is how God speaks to us. God, the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Bible. He fills and indwells and empowers the believer. Let me just say this, you cannot abide in Christ unless you're praying and reading the Bible. Unless you're in God's word and in God's presence, you're not going to abide. How about this? How important is worship to abiding in Christ? It's crucial. And that includes church and being with God's people and in God's presence. We had this conversation at the dinner table with the family last night. What are the ways that you stay connected, abiding in Christ to your vine? And this was the discussion in our family. How's your Bible reading going? How's your praying going? How's your worship? When I first got saved, I wasn't a big singer. Okay, partially because of my voice, right? I mean, this is, this is, this is in my resurrection body, it's gonna be awesome. But until then, it's, it's a situation, okay? I don't have a great voice. And when I first became a Christian, I went to church and they were all singing and I'd never seen that. And it was weird to me because men don't sing unless they're from another country at a soccer match. That's the only time that men ever sing. I'm not from another country and I was not at a soccer match, so I don't sing. And I'm seeing guys sing. And I thought, this is really strange. And what I've learned over the years is that as my body needs food, water, air, my soul needs worship. My soul needs worship. My soul needs to be in God's presence. My soul needs to be with God's people, singing together, worshiping together, getting connected to the Lord Jesus and having the life of the Holy Spirit flow through those who are worshipers of Jesus. I told Gracie this last night. My, I think my favorite thing is when I hold her hand and we worship together. Right, it's one hand in surrender and one hand in friendship. And I just feel like, man, if we can abide in Christ together, we will persevere and endure together, right? I mean, anytime I see a couple that is holding hands and worshiping, I think there's hope, there's hope because they are together coming into God's presence, seeking to abide in Jesus so that his life and love would come to them so that then they could share it and they could nourish one another as fruitful people. How about this one? How about solitude? How about solitude? It's important to have godly relationships, other people that nourish you as you nourish them and they're fruitful and you're fruitful and you, you, you encourage and bless and nourish one another but sometimes it's solitude and silence. Uh, what we practice in our culture is isolation. Isolation is where I'm just, I, I sort of get by myself, but I'm not getting alone with the Lord. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to be alone with the Father. It's not enough to just get isolation, you need solitude. Isolation is where I'm just hanging out with me. Solitude is where I'm connecting to the vine. Uh, for me, this looks like regularly scheduled times of silence and solitude. So I've got one on the calendar this Friday because I have found that if I don't put it on the calendar, it doesn't happen. 
I schedule an appointment with Jesus. And I've got a list of things in my journal, things I'm burdened by, I wanna transfer the burden to him. Things that I need clarity on, I need him to tell me what to do. Things that I'm grateful for, and I just wanna spend time really rejoicing and, and, and remembering his provision and the way he's been so good to me. And I will turn off my phone and I will get in my Jeep and I will go to a solitude place of silence and I will meet with the Lord Jesus. Some of you don't do that and you need to do that. And let me uh, close with this. What is this? A problem. A problem. Okay, phone is the Greek word for demon, okay? Uh, I'm just kidding. How many hours a day does the average American spend on their phone? Apps, text, email, calls. Four hours and 15 minutes a day. How do I know that? I looked it up on my phone. Not gonna lie. What this is, this is abiding in the news cycle. Is that gonna make you healthy? No. This is abiding in your job responsibilities. This is abiding in social media. What are other people thinking and saying about me rather than God, what do you think and say about me? The problem is not the phone, the problem is the human heart. But when I was thinking about it, this is what we abide with more than anything else. You take it with you where? Everywhere, everywhere, right? Everywhere. And if you lose your phone, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. That happened to me one time, we were on vacation. I had my phone, we were out at the lake, it fell and dropped, I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my gosh. I, I felt free at last, like delivered. I felt like that was the Lord. Well, Lord, who am I to be against your will? It's at the bottom of the lake. Praise you, Lord. I mean, I didn't, because first thing you do in the morning, do you talk to the Lord or turn on your phone? Last thing at night before you go to bed, talk to the Lord or check your phone. During the day, you're like, I got a problem. I'll talk to Siri. Did you talk to Jesus? The average Devoted regular church attender now attends two out of five Sundays, which means you come to worship God hour and a half every few weeks and you spend four and a half hours a day, four, four hours and 15 minutes a day on your phone. What I'm saying is sometimes you need to turn this off to tune into the relationship with Jesus. Sometimes you need to unplug from technology and plug into the vine. And some of you would say, and I love you, okay, but hear me this, you're like, I'm too busy. You're not fruitful. And if you don't have time for Jesus, I guarantee you, you are doing th- things that Jesus doesn't want you to do. Because the first priority is abiding in the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Pastor Mark, I'm so busy duct taping plastic fruit to my dead tree. I know, and I love you. So get some time with Jesus. And let's do that right now. And let me say this, my sermons are long, you're welcome. (laughs) Our services are long, you're welcome. We're now gonna take time because you know what? Here's my thing. We need time to abide. We need time to abide. So what we're gonna do now, we're gonna collect our tithes and offerings. You know what the Bible calls this? Our first fruits. 
Part of our fruitful life is giving and nourishing. And part of our giving is giving of first fruits. So we're gonna collect our tithes and offerings. It's part of our worship. And if you're not a Christian, say, what do I give? How about you give sin? Jesus takes your sin before he asks for anything else. Give him all of your sin if you're not a Christian. Receive forgiveness and new life today from Jesus. In addition, in a moment, we're gonna partake of communion. Partaking of communion is remembering Jesus' words. No greater love has anyone than this than they lay down their life for their friends. It's to remember that Jesus laid down his life to make us his friends. And as we partake of bread and juice or wine, depending upon your conscience, we are saying, I need to abide in Christ. I need Christ to abide in me. And as we're partaking, we're reminding ourselves that I need to be in Christ and I need Christ to be in me. And I need to nourish this relationship just as, just as food would nourish the body. So it is that relationship with Jesus that nourishes the soul. And then you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna worship. We're gonna enjoy God's presence. We're gonna be God's people. I know you got places to go. I know you got plastic fruit to duct tape to the dead tree. I know that right now there are football scores on your phone. <laughs> and what I'm saying is, let's set that aside and take some time to abide. So Lord Jesus, as we invite the band forward at this time, um, Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that we don't need to be the source of life for ourselves or others. I thank you that we don't need to sustain our soul, that you sustain all of our life. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you call us friends, that you were cut off so that we could be grafted into relationship with the living God. And Lord God, we just pause right now. We, 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 we claim this in the name of Jesus as a time to abide, to, to not have distraction or diversion, but to be directed to the presence of God, the provision of God. God, thank you for these dear people. And I pray for those, Lord, right now, they're in a pruning season. There's pain. It's hard. It's very real. People and things that they loved and enjoyed, they're, they're being taken away. God, I pray for encouragement on those dear people. I pray that they by faith would trust that it is not a punishment, but it is a pruning and it is a pruning for their good that'll lead to their flourishing and fruitfulness. And God, I pray for this uh, beautiful church family here at the Trinity Church. I love these people. They're very dear. They've been very life-giving to my family and I. I pray that this church would be a life-giving place. I pray that we would be a life-giving people and that the fruit of the Spirit, the love of Jesus, would be evidenced and manifest. And so, Jesus, we come to worship right now and we come to abide and we ask you to nourish and sustain us in your good name. Amen. If you live in or are visiting the Greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays. YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.